continuing our message on Psalm chapter 130. And I would like first to apologize to our younger generation. Emphasis on younger. Uh, you might not know the song or be able to relate to the song, but you could Google it later on or perhaps watch it on YouTube. I don't know if you share the sentiment that I feel about the songs, the romantic songs I enjoyed when I was younger. Those love songs make me feel sad, inspired, lovesick. But lately when I hear them, I said to myself, Bang, you enjoy those songs? Yeah. They sound cheesy. They feel corny. You know? Like that song by the Australian band Air Supply, and the chorus goes like this. I can wait forever if you say you'll be there too. I can wait forever if you will. I know it's worth it all to spend my life alone with you. Cheesy, right? Oh, hey, it feels corny, but not if you're deeply in love with someone. And that someone is far away from you right now. Suddenly those words sound right. They feel fine. They're not cheesy if you're loving someone and that someone is far away from you. A person who does not know the Lord, people who do not feel their need of God, would find the words of Psalm 130 cheesy or corny. Words like, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, O Lord, hear my voice. My soul waits for the Lord. In His hope, in His word I hope, my soul waits for the Lord. More than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. Those words or those lyrics of the Air Supply song were meant for a human lover. But Psalm 130, the songs or the words of this psalm are meant to the lover of our soul, the Lord God. And to those who have tasted God, those who have experienced His goodness, those words sound right, they make sense, they feel good. Because those who know the Lord would like to know Him more. Those who have tasted the goodness of God want to taste His goodness again. And those who have sampled the fullness of joy in His presence would like to sample the fullness of joy to be in His presence again. Those are the reasons why for the many words, phrases, statements of the writers of the book of Psalms. Here are some examples. And they are cheesy if you do not know the Lord. But if you know God, it makes sense. Deep. Calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. Your waves and your breakers have gone, have swept over me. The, the context of that song is that the writer of that psalm has been separated from the temple of God and he could not join the people of God to worship him. And he misses that. He says, Lord, I have felt what it's like to be immersed at the waterfall of your love. I know what it's like to be swept by your never-ending mercies. And now I'm far from you. I cannot be in your presence. And I miss that. And so deep, calls to deep at the sound of your waterfall. Here's another one. Because thou hast been my help, therefore in the shadow of your wings I rejoice. My soul follows hard after thee. Arang OA. But the people who wrote that song, they were sincere people and they meant every word that they wrote. And we know they're true because the Holy Spirit included those words. 
in the whole scriptures. And about this one, Psalm 42, 1-2. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul pants after you, O God. When can I meet with you, God? My tears have been my food all day long and all night. If you know the Lord, those words make sense. They feel just right. Like the words of Psalm 130, which we learned last week, was a song of ascent and at the same time a penitential psalm. Last week we learned that Psalm 130, that the Lord is worth the wait because of six reasons. We learned of the first three reasons last week. First, the Lord is worth the wait because there's none like Him and we absolutely need Him. There's no one else who could save us. There's no one else who could bless us and satisfy us to the utmost. Second, the Lord is worth the wait because He promised to forgive our sins and He made a way for our sins to be forgiven. And third, He is worth the wait because He gave us His words and His words are true. Today, we look at the fourth, fifth, and sixth reason from Psalm 130 why the Lord is worth the wait. Psalm 130, if you read that at home, please read it at home. It invites you to just rest in the Lord and then appreciate the journeys that He brings us through life because He is with us. He goes through us and He will see us through. Yes, waiting constitutes a great part of the journey in life, but Scripture promises that He is worth the wait. Good things come to those who wait, especially if the Lord is the one you're waiting for. Let's pray. Lord, the whole world is put in a pause mode right now. We are distancing ourselves from one another. We're waiting for the end of the pandemic. At the same time, we are anxious. We don't know what will happen next year. But the righteous shall live by faith. And we wait upon you. For you promise to forgive our sins. You promise to come with your steadfast love and redeem us. And you are worth the wait. Speak to those who are brokenhearted. Strengthen to those who are weak. Enlighten those who are doubting. And I pray for joy for those who are sad and depressed right now. Come to our lives. Speak to our hearts. Touch our souls. And convince us or make us know that you are always and will ever be worth the wait. For your good and your God. Fourth reason, he is worth the wait because he is sure to come. John Wesley, who started the Methodist Church, and he was an evangelist on horseback, said these words, and I can relate to these words. He said, when I was young, I was sure of everything. In a few years, having been mistaken a thousand times, I was not half so sure of most things as I was before. At present, I am hardly sure of anything but what God has revealed to me. Can you relate to that? Many or most of us started life as idealists. Now, even women, when you, my boyfriends will 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 10 ideals. But as you get older, it becomes 5, it becomes 3, it becomes 2, it becomes 1. The only one is as long as it's alive and breathing. We, we start life as idealists, but as we experience real life, we slowly turn into a realist. We become realistic about our expectation because life is not always easy. Many of us, the things that we were once certain of, we 
we're not so sure now, when it comes to God and His promises, we can always be sure of God and His promises. We can remain certain because He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Psalm 130, if you recall, paints different pictures or scenarios of people who wait on the Lord. First, it paints a picture of someone who's drowning at sea or someone who's fallen in a deep well and waiting for someone to rescue him. So he says, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, O Lord, hear my voice. And then the second, the second scenario, the second picture that the writer paints is that of the drama of a courtroom. And the writer says, O Lord, if you should mark iniquities, who can stand? And now third, the writer shifts the spotlight on the walls of a city where the watchmen guard their city throughout the night. They do not sleep. It's their time to guard the city. And they gaze through the darkness to detect any approaching danger. They wish that the sun would come up sooner, but they don't have the power to do that. But all they could do is to wait for the sun to come. And they are sure that sun would come, the morning would come. And when it comes, they rejoice and give a sigh of relief that the city, their city, has been saved another night. And so the writer of Psalm 130 says, My soul waits for the Lord. More than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. When you wait for someone or something that is sure to come, that someone or something is worth the wait. When you wait for a loved one or a a family member to come home every afternoon at work. When you wait for your salary on the 15th or at the end of the month. When you wait for the sky train or the bus. You're waiting for something that is worth the wait because they come. Sometimes they get late but they arrive surely. And so Psalm 130 tells us that watchmen never wait in vain for the morning because the morning always comes. Psalm 130 says, more than watchmen wait for the morning. It speaks of certainty, but because it is repeated twice, it speaks of double certainty. The Lord is twice more certain to come than the sun would come in the next day. Waiting for the Lord is more than twice rewarding and certain than the watchmen wait for the rising of the sun the next morning. Verse 6 speaks of absolute confidence. Waiting for the Lord is not hopeless resignation, but joyful and even hopeful anticipation. He is worth the wait for He is sure to come. He will fulfill His word. He will keep His promises. We cannot be sure about many things in life and in the world. But we could always be sure about God and His plans and purposes. For with God all things are possible except Him lying and sinning. He will not break His covenant nor alter what His lips have uttered. In the book of Joshua, Joshua sensed that his time on earth was nearing its end. So he called for all the leaders of Israel and he told them, he reminded them, Brothers, not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you, all have come to pass. Not one of them has failed. And isn't that true? 
Sometimes we have to wait for a long time, but the Lord always delivers. He keeps His word. The Lord told Habakkuk in response to the prophet's complaint, He says, Wait for the vision, for the vision is still waiting its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. Even if it seems slow to you, wait for it, for it will not delay. It will surely come. Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 5.24, For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope at all, for who hopes for what he already sees? But if we don't see it yet, we wait for it patiently. Why? Because he who called you is faithful, and he will surely do it. The Lord is worth the wait because he is sure to come. Fifth reason is worth the wait, for his love is steadfast. Verse 7, the psalmist says, O Israel, hope in the Lord. Why? For with the Lord there is steadfast love. That phrase, steadfast love, is mentioned several times, not just in the book of Psalms, but in other books of the Old Testament, like in Lamentations 3, 22-23, where Jeremiah says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. And if you look at the context of that verse, Jeremiah said those words, not during a time of ease or convenience, but during a time when the city was destroyed by the Babylonians. But he says, I remember the wormwood in the gall, and my soul is so bitter within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. This, this word steadfast love is chesed in Hebrew. It is spelled h E S E D, but according to my younger son who studied Hebrew, he's smarter than me. He said that it's pronounced Chesed because it's Hebrew. Chesed occurs 250 times in the Old Testament, and mostly it's used for God. Half of its usage is found in the Book of Psalms, and all of its usage in the Book of Psalms is referred to God. Chesed is a unique and interesting Hebrew word. There is no English word that could fully capture its essence, its meaning, and its implications. And so far, according to scholars, it has no exact translation in other ancient languages. Chesed. Chesed is an attribute of God that no single English word could fully express or interpret. The translators of the Bible from Hebrew to English use many words for kesed, words like goodness, mercies, kindness, uh, uh, grace, and love. And oftentimes they use double words like loving kindness, unfailing love, and the most used one, steadfast love. That means the translators were not satisfied often to use just one English word to translate kesed, that they often use two English words to express the meaning, to capture the essence of this Hebrew word kesed, his steadfast love. Kesed conveys the idea of intentional kindness, like 
in the Greek agape in the New Testament. You know, the Greek word agape, when, when Paul tried to describe agape in 1 Corinthians 13 verse 4 or 5, he used so many English words to describe just one word. He says, love is patient, it's kind, it's not arrogant, it's not rude, it doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing, it rejoices in the truth, it believes, it hopes, it endures. So many words to explain and describe just one word. The same is with Kessel. This trait of God influences his other traits and often directs his actions, what he does. For example, he practices patience with you because of his kesed. When the Lord gets angry, he gets angry for a moment, but his favor is for a lifetime because of his kesed. And when the Lord decides it's time to punish us, because according to Hebrews, he disciplines those whom he loves. When he punishes us, when he shows his wrath, he remembers mercy because of his kesed. The Lord is steadfast in his love, and his mercies never end. Trouble may never leave us at its foundest. Problems can disrupt our plans and our dreams. But it's possible to remain calm and even joyful in this problematic world because we have God and He is tested. His love is steadfast love. Difficulties, they come, but they also go. They come again, but they go again. Uh, when we get tired of life, of work, God gives us rest. There are always needs in life, but in due time, provisions come. There's healing for our sickness. There's courage whenever we're afraid. There's strength whenever we are weak. And when it's our time to leave this earth and go back to our Creator, we who trust in Christ are assured that we will continue our lives in heaven with the Lord, where there is fullness of joy. Because God's love is kesed, steadfast love. How can we be sure? Psalm 130 says, Hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love. The Lord's steadfast love fails not. It comes every day, new each day. It gives guidance for every step of the way. New grace for new trials. New courage for new fears. New strength for new burdens. There's one psalm wherein the writer in Psalm 89, he sings of God's steadfast love during a time when God was disciplining his people. Saying that even when God is disciplining us because we're stubborn, his steadfast love for us doesn't end. It doesn't change. That's why it's called Keset, his steadfast love. We are still to learn why the Lord allowed this pandemic to touch the whole world. I think this pandemic is allowed by God for some to, as a trial. To others, it's to strengthen their faith, to make them grow in their faith. To others, it's just plain retribution. Somebody asked a pastor, why does your God allow this pandemic? And I would like to answer, well, you've been ignoring God. You've been kicking out God out of the society. Kick them out of the school. You, you're mocking him. You're making fun of him. You say he doesn't exist. I think for some this is plain retribution. For some, perhaps this pandemic is to discipline so that they would repent. I don't know what's the reason for you, but we're learning it 
we're learning it. But the wonderful thing is, no matter what the reason or the season, if you belong to God, the Lord's steadfast love for His people exists and even persists. And because of God's steadfast love, we can gather here following safety protocols, we can live by faith, and we can worship the Lord no matter how we struggle during the present situation, how we even suffer because of the sins of others, or even of our own sins, and no matter how perplexed we may be, God's love for us is steadfast. God is worth the wait because His steadfast love is for you. I have shared this story to you a couple of times, but it's very appropriate, and I would like to use it again because it is true. Charles H. Spurgeon is one of the best preachers of all time. One time he was walking in an English countryside with his friend, and he saw a weather vane. A weather vane is a weather instrument that tells you where the wind is blowing, whether north, east, west, or south, weather vane. On top of the weather vane are the words, God is love. Charles Spurgeon being the preacher said, You know what, my friend? I don't agree the possession of those words. It should not be placed there because weather vanes are changeable, but God's love is constant. The friend said, I think you misjudge the intention of the one who put that weather vane on top of his form. I think he's saying, no matter where the wind blows, God is love. God is worth the wait because His steadfast love is for His people. Sixth and last reason. He is worth the wait for with Him is plentiful redemption. The last picture, the last scenario that the writer of Psalm 130 paints is that of a slave market. So first, it's someone drowning. Second, someone in a courtroom. Third, city walls. And then fourth, slave market. Verse 7, it says, O Israel, hope in the Lord. With him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Arthur Berry was a famous jewel thief in the 1920s. What made him unusual and very famous is is big-time robber. He doesn't steal from the poor. He doesn't steal from the middle class. He doesn't even steal from the rich. He only stole from the super-rich. When he enters the house, he doesn't touch the ordinary jewels. He just takes what is most precious and rare and most valuable. That's why he became some sort of a social status. If, some, if Arthur Berry stole from someone, that means that someone is not just rich, he is super rich. But over time, they say crime does not pay, and Arthur Berry was caught on the act, and he tried to escape, and he was shot by the police. He recovered from his gunshot wounds, but he spent 18 long years in prison. After 18 years, he was set free, and he decided to change. He went to a unknown small town in New England, and there he worked hard with his hands honestly, and he became kind to his neighbors, that he became one of the most respected citizens of that town. One day a visitor visited his town, a, a guest visited his town, and recognized him as that famous 
jewel thief and says, Aren't you Arthur Berry? And word got out, and reporters of different newspapers went to that town to interview him. One reporter asked him, Arthur Berry, if taken only from the wealthiest people in the world, do you remember who it was you stole the most from? Arthur Berry paused for a moment and then he said, the person I stole the most from was Arthur Berry. You see, I could have made a big contribution to society. I could have been a lawyer, a teacher, a stockbroker, or a businessman. Instead, I spent 18 of my adult years in prison. I spent a lifetime robbing myself. You may not be a jewel thief or a convicted criminal who did time in prison. But maybe you're robbing yourself. Maybe you're robbing yourself of the things God wants you to have. Maybe you're wasting your life on earth. Many people are living to chase their dreams, to accumulate things. When Jesus reminds us, what good is it for a man to have the whole word, what's the profit, and yet lose his own soul? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is, there's no profit. Nothing. Nothing. Are you robbing yourself of what God wants you to have? Of what the Lord wants you to experience and learn in His hand and in His presence? Well, if somehow you are, the good news is, you can be redeemed. Your life could be redeemed if you turn to God in repentance and faith. God can and will redeem our lives. In ancient times, slaves have no hope. The only hope of a slave if someone rich and powerful would buy him and then set him free. And so Psalm 130 paints a picture of God going to the slave market where your soul is being sold, where your life is being wasted, and then he buys you and then sets you free. But the Bible says, listen, buy you with gold or silver. He buys you with his, the precious blood of his son. Redemption entails the paying of a price to free a person from death, from captivity, from bondage, from, from loss, or even from death. It is like paying a ransom so that someone who is kidnapped or taken hostage would be set free. Or it's like going to a pawn shop and recovering a precious item, paying the debt price plus interest and restoring that thing. It's redeeming, redemption. We all need redemption because we are needy, helpless, and in danger of losing our lives and facing a bleak eternal future. Redemption happens when someone rich and powerful is able, but is also willing to pay an expensive price to set you and me free. The Bible says God is our redeemer. Isaiah 54 verse 5 says, the Lord Almighty is His name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. God is worth the wait because He is the Redeemer of His people. He buys you back for Himself. In the New Testament, God became man in the person of Jesus Christ to redeem not just the people of Israel, but all of mankind. 
Christ does not have to redeem us because He is God and we are sinful creatures. But He did redeem us because we are needy, we are helpless, we are hopeless, and He is loving and gracious and He is kind. And He became man, died on the cross, so that He could redeem you. He could buy you back from the things that captured you, that, that oppresses you. And Peter tells us, the redemption that happened when Jesus on the cross, he says, you were ransomed or you were redeemed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things like gold or silver, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. I don't know how you think of yourself, but one thing I appreciate about this book it opens my eyes to the truth of who I am and what was my situation. I realize that I need to be redeemed. I recognize that I'm a sinner. We all need to be redeemed because we all sin and therefore are slaves to sin and the wages of sin is death. We're in bondage. We sold our souls to the devil. We relinquish our God-given rights and face a very big future. But Jesus comes to the slave market where our souls are being sold. And then he died on the cross to buy us back for God with his blood so that we can be with God here on earth and then especially in heaven for all eternity one day. The Lord saves our souls from hell, restores what we lost because of sin, and then redeems us from an empty way of life. Folks, someone bought you. Someone paid for your debt. Someone paid your ransom. And he paid not with gold or silver. He paid with his own blood on the cross. I don't know if American writer Mark Twain was being funny when he said, All good things come to those who wait. For the meantime, don't die. Funny, but makes sense, right? What's the use of the good things you are waiting for if you will not be there to enjoy them? But if you belong to Christ, that's not a problem. That is not a concern. If you belong to Jesus, your waiting for God is always worth the wait because He's going not only to preserve His things or the wonderful things for you, He's going to preserve you too. Listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter Chapter 1, 3 to 5. The Apostle writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then here it comes. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So He's keeping the inheritance. And then you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter is saying God is not only guarding and preserving your inheritance in Christ. He's also preserving and guarding you so that you might enjoy your inheritance in Christ. Last week we say that the Lord is preparing us for what He has prepared for us. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who
who love Him and are called to His purpose. And God is preparing for that what He has prepared for us. And He will guard that and He will keep us so that we will be there during the right time. He is worth the wait, not only because He has redeemed the wonderful things that God meant for us, which we lost to sin, but also because He has redeemed us so that we might enjoy forever the treasures in His right hand and the fullness of joy in His presence. He is worth the wait. Because of this pandemic, society has coined a word, the new normal. You're familiar with the word? New normal. What's the new normal? The wearing of masks, uh, social distancing, hand sanitizer, small gatherings, worry, fear, uh, distancing, isolation. And for many people, they're so troubled. Many people are stressed and they're depressed because of what's going on. And they consider this as difficulty or suffering, problems, you know. And problems nowadays has become the new normal. But if you're a follower of Christ, this is not new. This is normal, but this is not new. Listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter 4.12. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. He says, if you're experiencing problems when you're going to troubles, don't be surprised. That's normal. He says, as though something strange were happening to you. And so, Christian brothers and sisters, this has not been new to us. In fact, what we're going through the past decades is the abnormal thing. The convenience, the ease. Praise God for that. We take it, but that's not normal. Apostle Peter saying that when Christians experience trials, it is normal. Therefore, do not be surprised. The Lord himself said to his disciples, In this world, you will have tribulation." He guarantees it. He doesn't say, in this world, you may, if you go to church every day, Sunday, you may dodge it. No, he says, in this world, you will have tribulations. I'm glad he didn't add the sentence there. He says, but be of good cheer, for I am here and I have overcome the world. Because of this, someone thirty reminds us of the normal things that Christians do. During these difficult times, here are the normal things we do. Psalm 130 says, Out of the depths I cry to you, desperation for God, and passionate praying should be normal for us. That should be the new normal, if not the old normal. He says, But with you, Lord, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Fearing God is normal for those who have been forgiven of their sins. Fearing God should be normal for us. It may not be normal for other people, but for us Christians who believe in this book, who have tasted His goodness, it's normal for us. And then it says, O Israel, hope in the Lord. Hoping in God is normal for God's people. And the goodness is, God also does normal things. If those are the normal things that God's people do, here are some of the normal things that God does where we find our strength and comfort. It says, but with you, O oh Lord, there is forgiveness. You may mess it up. You may do a number of, of boo-boos or mistakes. But if you confess your sin, there is forgiveness. 
the Lord forgives our sins every time we confess and repent. Because that's normal. Because Christ died for your sins and my sins. Another says, for with the Lord there is steadfast love. You experiencing and, and flourishing in the love of God that is steadfast, that is normal for God to do. For God to show His steadfast love to you, that is normal for Him to do. And then He says, And with Him is plentiful redemption. He has redeemed you. He continues to redeem you. For that is a normal thing for Him to do. Therefore, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits for the Lord. Therefore, waiting for God, for God's people, is normal for God's people. The Lord is worth the wait. Clearly and undeniable. And for those of you who are waiting for something, wait for the Lord. Are you waiting for the Lord? Or is there fear or worry and anxiety in the horizon for you? Look, God came and died on the cross to buy you back. God owns you once because He created you. But we ran away from Him. So we got lost. We got far away from Him. But He chased us. He died for us and bought us back with His blood. And so if you are the Lord's, you are owned by God twice. First, owned by creation. And then second, owned by redemption. My question is, are you redeemed? Have you been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb? Do you belong to Jesus? Have you allowed Jesus to purchase you for God so that you might enjoy God and be with Him forever? If you're not, then it's time to talk with God. Because talking with God is normal to God's people. Here's a prayer that I would like you to pray wherever you are in your seats or in your homes. Would you pray this prayer of asking God to redeem you, of asking God to purchase you back for God? Lord Jesus, I have been hoping and waiting for the wrong things. I've been waiting on myself to shape up and suit up. But somehow I could not. I've been waiting for other people. But I get disappointed. I've been waiting for the government. I've been waiting for this. But now I'm being told that I could wait for you. And you're worth the wait. Somehow I believe you. Somehow I believe what your word says. And sure I am Lord. I am waiting for you. Would you rescue me? Would you redeem my soul? I give my life to you. And Jesus, please become my Lord and Savior. Be my Redeemer and Savior. Save me from my sins. Save me so that I could be with you and enjoy you. I thank you that you did come and paid for our redemption with your blood. And from this day on, I would like to wait on you, live with you, and walk with you until you call me home.